Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. You know what I love is getting to know people and building relationships with people who are consciously wanting to make a difference in this world and change the world for the better. You know, they're committed to doing their own work and they're committed to not only doing their own work, but how they show up in their business and their life the same way, right? It doesn't make sense to do one thing one way, the way you would do it, and then do your business and you act in a workplace another way. And I just love learning and connecting with people that are in the process and in the journey of being consistent across the board and being aligned in all areas of their life, right? And also being humble at where they're at in that this is a never-ending journey and the more we grow, the more levels that we have, to, we have to face, the more challenges, the more adversity. And it's a beautiful thing. And if we can learn to love that, then, you know, we'll always be empowered. So today's guest, my friend, Sarah Hawley, this was such a fun conversation. We covered so much. She's the wife of my good friend, good brother, Joe Hawley. Joe has been on the show twice. He's been on the summit and I sat with him in ayahuasca last year in Costa Rica. So it was really great to have Sarah on and get to like, you know, get to know her because we've talked briefly, but we didn't really, we haven't really had like a deep conversation about life like we did today. So we got into her story. I really resonated with her story around her dad, losing her dad, abandonment wounds that show up because I could really resonate with that, losing my dad and we talked about what that looks like for her, her journey through travel and, you know, what brought her kind of to where she is today. And we talked about her company, Grow Remotely, her book, Conscious Leadership, which conscious leadership is such a great topic because there's one way to lead and then there's the right way. to. Well, I shouldn't say there's the one way or the right way. I mean, like, you know, Traditional leadership is a lot different than conscious leadership and conscious leadership is just so powerful. So I, I really, I'm excited for you guys to kind of hear her take on that and where we go with this, because I believe that conscious leadership is the way of the future and the old paradigms of how things were done is dying and we're where we're at for a reason. You know, I talked about how in sports, how I was led a certain way more of a fear-based way. And that's all I knew. So when I came into the workplace or as a boss or as a leader or whatever role, founder, CEO, whatever you want to call it, that's all I knew. So I had to kind of unlearn that and step into a different role of more listening, more feeling, more just being more compassionate and being um, a better listener and, and, and more about inspiring people to want to do things versus like telling them to want to do things. So it's a dance. It's tough. We talked about her ability to be able to be vulnerable yet still lead and how to inspire people to want to work with your organization. We also talked about how to fire people effectively. 
and what to look for in the beginning, how to have tough conversations so that you don't have to essentially have them quit or have them be fired, right? So lots of stuff. There's, we covered so much here and yeah, this was, this was a great episode for all of you entrepreneurs. If you, even if you're not an entrepreneur, if you're in any sort of business or anything where you have to really look at the paradigm that you're in and you want to start to shift it, this is a great episode to listen to. Okay. So Sarah is the CEO and founder of Grow Motley the world's first end-to-end platform that facilitates conscious companies in hiring equally conscious remote professionals of all nationalities into long-term remote jobs. Driven by her passion for the freedom that remote, remote work provides professionals and companies alike, she is, a trail, she is trailblazing the space as a thought leader and creator where remote work, conscious leadership, and personal and professional growth intersect. Shoestring recognized her as one of the top female entrepreneurs under 40. And before Grow Motley, she started and successfully sold multiple companies for seven-figure sums. She's a mother to one-year-old Luca and the author of the book, Conscious Leadership, A Journey from Ego to Heart. And Sarah is revolutioning. Sarah is revolutionizing the world of work. I love it. She's amazing. You guys are going to love this conversation. Let us know what you think. Really listen to this till the end. I promise you, you're going to get so much value. And if you do, tag us in social media. Let us know what you think. What really helps you guys is if you leave an a-, a review on Apple. It really helps support the show. And if you aren't subscribed to University of Adversity yet. Hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this or the follow button. We are also available on YouTube if you want to watch all the funny faces I make when I do these interviews. All right. <laughs> Love you guys. Enjoy the episode with Sarah Holly. Here we go. Sarah, welcome to University of Adversity. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to <laughs> finally get together on this. Yes, finally get together. It's an interesting time to be alive, to say the least. and. You know, I, I got to know you, I think over the last couple of years, we met for the first time very briefly in Sedona in 2020, but we didn't really chat. And in the last couple of years, we've sort of chatted and about other things. And I've got to know you and obviously your husband, Joe is amazing. He's been on the show twice. He's been on the <laughs> summit and I just love what you guys are both creating and what you're creating as well. And with Grow Motley and everything else, and it's really exciting because I think the world really needs it. But before we get into that, I I don't know much about your backstory. Mm. So I really want to kind of like, all I know is like you were at Fit for Service. You joined Fit for Service the year before me, met Joe, and then I met you. So I would love if we could kind of take it back and sort of like walk us through a little bit of your journey on Mm. how you got to where you are today. Well, I love it. It's obviously a big question. How far back do you want to go? Yeah. I mean, I, I always like to say wherever you feel called is like a good spot to start. If you want to start when you were a kid, if you want to start when you're a teenager, it really, I mean, yeah. there's so many lessons along the way. There is. There's so many. And it's like, wow, where do I feel called to start right now? I think the high level summary of my childhood was 
zero to 10 was a typical family in a middle-class kind of financial situation, I would say. And then my dad, my mum and dad split up. That was actually very traumatic and took place over a number of years. And at the same time, went from this kind of pretty, as I say, middle-class, maybe upper-middle-class type upbringing to not that at all. Like we were, it was me, my mum, me, my mum and my sister living with my mum's mum in like a really old house until my mum could find work and, and get us our own house and me working multiple jobs from the age of 14 to continue to pay my own way through school and things like that. And pretty, I like, I think the word delinquent is probably the best word to describe, you know, where I was at as a, as a teen dealing with my dad, essentially abandoning us, which is also my core wound and, and just dealing with how that felt in my life and what I was trying to seek out and the methods of which I was doing it. We're not very healthy, obviously just skipping school and doing drugs and not really getting good grades or worrying even about getting good grades and just kind of partying and having fun. And there was a lot of, a lot of fun aspect to that as well. A lot of, and a lot of independence I was seeking and establishing for myself, some of which has served me really well and is really incredible and others of which is unhealthy and has caused a lot of challenge throughout my life. But that's kind of the high level summary of my, my childhood and I, I wanted to give that summary, but then jump to like what I think is a really defining moment, which was when I was 18 and a girlfriend of mine had traveled to London. And that, at that point in my life, I had no desire to travel. I didn't even really know where other countries were. I was just thinking like, I just need to get some kind of job with a steady income. I didn't even want to go to college or anything. I was like, I just need to get a job with a steady income so that I can sort of be safe or secure. That was kind of my priority at that time. So my dreams were very small, if that makes sense. And something magical happened where I was on the phone with this girl, friend, girlfriend of mine who was in London, and I was feeling kind of disenchanted in that moment with my social circle or something like that. And she said, why don't you come to London? And I had a little bit of money in the bank, not very much, just a few thousand dollars. And that was like the first time in my life where I'd really had that kind of money. I guess I'd been out of school for like six months or something or not even, yeah, I don't know, not very long. And I was like, okay, I'll come to London. Why not? Just, I, I, I say magical because it was not in my radar to do anything like that. And somehow I just had this conversation with her in the right moment at the right time. And I literally went and booked my flight that afternoon. And two weeks later, I flew to London with a work visa to just do this travel thing, to work and, and travel around Europe. And it changed my entire life because I saw this whole big wide world that was out there. I saw so much beyond the very small confining box of my life and my limits at that time. And from that moment on, everything changed because I realized that, there, that there's so much that I can do with this life. There's so much that I can experience. There's so much that I can be. And I had no desire to just stay in that city that I was in and get a safe job and, you know, settle, settle down at the age of 18, which, you know, was really more a desire to create security for myself. But in fact, what I had discovered was 
freedom. And I had discovered as well, my own, like when I say that independence kind of served me well, I, I discovered that I was capable and I was able and I was independent and I could go traveling and I could do all sorts of things on my own. And so from that moment on, it was like, I just really discovered my ability to create my own destiny, to make things happen, to manifest or whatever language you want to use around it but to kind of co-create this experience with the universe. And so that was a real turning point for me. And there was a lot that played out into my 20s and, and 30s. I'm now 41. You look very good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I attribute that to being vegan, I think, but or vegetarian. <laughs> Obviously different perspectives on diets and health, but I've always cared for my health in that way. Yeah. So, you know, throughout my 20s, I really having this newfound ability to understand like I can create my destiny, I can do whatever I want, I can be anything. I started dreaming bigger, thinking bigger. And I traveled a lot more. I started getting more serious about my career and what might be possible. I got more serious about my financial situation because I did not want to be living in poverty the way that I had experienced in my teens. I wanted to have money because I could understand that money would provide me with freedom. And, you know, there was a huge amount of energy that was being driven to prove myself and that wasn't necessarily healthy, but it also got me, uh, it got me far. And it was, it was the fuel that fed the fire at that time in my life. It's not the fuel that feeds the fire anymore for the most part, but yeah, to prove myself to my dad, essentially that I was like worthy and I was good enough and I could do amazing things. And I went on to start I actually worked with my dad for a little bit we reconciled after being kind of not really in touch a lot in my in my teen years but we reconciled I actually started working with him and then I started my own businesses in financial planning and really just discovered entrepreneurship fit right into that because once again you can create your own destiny and I love even just the what I love about entrepreneurship is going from something being just an idea to actually a reality and that power that you can feel of having created something, that creative power. And I use the word power in this sense, in a really positive light of just like, wow, like this didn't exist and now it exists. Like, how cool is that? I brought this to the world. I brought this to life, myself and my team or whoever, but it's, you know, it's such a beautiful experience. And so I fell in love with entrepreneurship, natural leader, enjoyed and loved leading people, was not very good at it early on, but have become a lot better at it over the years as well. And that's a whole journey also. Yeah. And then I guess my, my dad passed away in my early thirties, which was really difficult. And I was married previously and that kind of all started falling apart roughly at that same time. And all of those strategies of trying to prove myself, trying to be enough in the world started to feel meaningless. And I had achieved a lot of success. I'd achieved a lot of financial success. I'd achieved a lot of business success. I apparently had the perfect life that they tell you 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 need to have with the husband and the nice house and travel and blah, blah, blah. And I was, you know, this void inside me was just still not being filled. And so that was a journey that I then went on to kind of unwind and unpack all of the needing to prove, needing to be enough the fear of abandonment. And it's a, it's a lifelong journey, I think, but reconnecting with 
the spiritual aspect of myself, the interbeing, the interconnected nature of everything that I, I have always felt actually, and reconnecting with that and doing a lot of healing and growth work to be in a place now where I feel that I am co-creating with the universe and practicing a life of interbeing with everything around me and healing, continuing to heal all of those, the challenging parts. Yeah. I, uh, there's a lot I can resonate with you on that. And before we kind of move into like entrepreneurship talk, I kind of want to just dig into this, like these, the, the abandonment wounds, mm -hmm. I can really resonate with that. And, and then, you know, when you have those wounds with somebody and then they pass away, sometimes you feel as if you don't, you never really I know at least when I went through it, it felt like I never really fixed it. And it was kind of like mm -hmm. this feeling of like, oh, I got this now, but I didn't really get to fix it because they're gone now. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever, or did you, did you patch things up so much that like where it didn't really affect you as much or what was that like once he passed away with that whole mm -hmm. dynamic? I think it's a lifelong journey, honestly, dancing with that dynamic. And, and I say that now, I don't know where I'll be in the future, but it certainly is up until this point. I feel as though I came to a place around that sort of 18, 19 age where I realized, and quite, quite early on, I'm quite proud of this actually, where I realized that I wasn't necessarily going to get any particular conversation or desired scenario from my dad. Somehow I was now an adult myself. I could see how challenging life is and I could start to understand that, you know, whatever was at play for him is what resulted in him acting the way that he did, but he did his best. And I could kind of accept that and piece that together. So I came to a lot of peace and just that place of loving acceptance of who he was. And there I was able to rebuild a relationship moving forward. And my relationship with my dad from that point forward was really beautiful. You know, we had a great time together. We really didn't have any conflict or anything. And, and it was great. But yeah, then he died. And that's another aspect of feeling abandoned at times because, you know, there was some factors in his life around alcoholism and the relationships he was choosing that led to, and even not caring for his health, that led to his life ending ultimately. And in my darker times of trying to reconcile that, I have felt anger and pain for him you know, when I'm in more of that victim archetype is alive in me, I can, I can feel this, I wasn't enough for you to look after your health and choose life to grow as old as you could with me and see my life and my children and my things. So that has shown up for me over the years as a second aspect of the abandonment, you know, when I'm, when I'm in that place. And I think all of these things are important to just feel and express and explore because there's parts of ourselves that need to feel that momentarily and for that to be acknowledged it doesn't mean we have to live there forever and and take that as our story defining what happened and I very much don't you know feel that in this moment or, or usually but that's definitely shown up for me along the way I think yeah what's hard is having never ever ever had a conversation with my dad 
about how he left our family and what happened at that time. We never, ever once were able to address that. And I'd be lying if I didn't say there, there's a desire in me that I would have loved to have that experience to like heal with my father and for him to heal as well, for him to feel that I can still love him despite what happened. And I know that he knows that. And we have this connection now at a more, I don't know, ethereal level. And sometimes he comes to me in my dreams and there's a lot of connection there that's really beautiful that transcends the current human experience that I'm having and the human experience that he had. So I met a lot of peace from that perspective for sure. But when I see, I've been really fortunate enough to witness some of my friends having beautiful healing experiences with their parents as they move through life. And I just think, wow, like what a gift. And, and just to, you know, let them maybe share with them my own experience so they can have their own deeper gratitude even, although I think everyone's very grateful when they, when they go through something like that. But yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to have that, but I also don't need it. I know that I still do my healing work and my dad and I still connect and, and all of that, but yeah, it's not, it's not always easy. Have you been able to connect with him since you lost him or was that later on? Cause I haven't really been able to connect with my dad. And a lot of people have said that they are able to connect with their they're, you know, lost loved ones and I haven't been able to, not really. I have definitely had some profound experiences. I've had him, I've had him visit me in dreams that, and I don't know if anyone listening or yourself feels this, but I feel like there's different types of dreams, you know, and, and there's this very specific type of dream that I have where someone comes to me who has passed. Potentially you could have this with someone who's still alive. It's almost just like the souls coming together and meeting. And I wake up with this feeling of deep connection, deep peace. There's been a message that has been transferred. It's not me dreaming up. It's not the same as my psyche giving me dreams and images of something that my psyche is trying to tell me, which is what most of my dreams are. It's a very different experience. Like one I can think of, I was just in a park and my dad was there in the park and we sat down on a park bench and we chatted. And it was, it was the dream itself was very simple. It wasn't, didn't have all these complexities that most of my dreams have, which is my psyche showing me all these different images and symbols. It, It didn't have any of that. It was just my dad coming to tell me that he was okay. And yeah, it was really beautiful. And then I've had other experiences where my dad has come to warn me of something. He's come very quickly with his voice and just said, no, other go the other way or whatever it is like very in a, in a, in a quite a intense situation, like immediate came to my aid and I just heard his voice and I could take action immediately and avoid something and that was really profound like consciously or in your dream he told you that no this was in in waking this was in in real life yeah yeah where he just came and just said no stop this really yeah and I knew exactly like whoa it was like very clear so that was really beautiful that was almost like just yeah he's he's always here watching I'm protected and and that was nice. And, and there's other things, there's symbols. My dad was very into birds and, you know, I'll often see birds in profound moments and I know that that's, or it certainly feels that that's him communicating to me. So I've had different experiences. I think I had more of the, the dream visitation 
maybe while he was transitioning. I don't know how this stuff works, obviously, but now it feels more subtle and peaceful and just like, yeah, he's here in some form. Energetically, we still have that connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful journey. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, when you lose somebody, it's, it's so interesting because it doesn't get easier. You just get better at dealing with it, but it doesn't go away. You know, it's like, yep. there'll be days you're like, yeah, you can almost feel them. And but then there's days where it's like, man, like you just, you go through these like emotional roller coasters yep. and it's like, no matter how spiritually healed you get, you're still a human and you're still going to feel these things. Like it's like, it's hard because there's like these feelings that come up of like, oh, I could have done this or I should have said that. And I think that's normal, right? As like we heal on this journey. It's like, you know, because yeah, it's, it's well, definitely, yeah, it's. Grief is not linear for a start and it doesn't have a defining start and end point either. Right. And yeah, I can drop into moments of grief that feel like he maybe he just passed away yesterday like it can feel so real and so visceral and that might only last for an hour or a moment it might be something i'm watching on tv or something somebody says to me or witnessing somebody else and it'll just drop me in and what i've learned over the years is to just allow that just allow that it's part of the process it's part of the continual healing the continual reverence for the life that he had and and just to be with it because yeah, it is. It's it's very hard. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how connected you are, just because my dad comes to me in dreams or sends birds as messages doesn't mean I don't miss the man, the smell, the hug, the smile, the shared conversation. I can still miss that deeply and also connect and heal and evolve in that way. But I love what you said as well. Someone came to me in my dad's funeral, actually, who had lost their father. And he said to me, you don't get over it. You get used to it. And that was the most profound thing I'm vibrating right now because it was true and it helped me. Because oftentimes when we do go through significant loss or change, what is reflected to us from the world around us is like, are you over it yet? Are you back? Are you good? And to in unless you have been through something that is deeply tragic or loss or a huge shift that's hard you don't understand that nothing ever goes back yeah <laughs> we move forward now in a new way and we have to actually spend time adjusting to life as it is now and that is all we ever do is we start to get more used to that Yeah. And you get better at just dealing with the emotions that arise and how to process them. It's like, okay, you're back. All right. Yeah. Like, and, and giving it the space that it deserves, you know, and, you know, obviously through meditation and journaling and having conversations like this, it's like, it gives it the space it needs and then you move on and then it'll come back later. But I feel like if you deny that, it's just going to keep showing up when you don't want it to, and it's, it's never going to go away, but you just, these emotions come up, you know, and whether it's a loss, somebody that you love or has to do with your work, it's like, you have to be able to process them. And I think as you start to do your own healing work, you just get better at dealing with these highs and lows, you know, these emotions. And it's yeah, I think it easy. starts with accepting. Yeah. <laughs> That all of the emotions are part of this human experience. And while we're stuck in the denial and the the wanting to not feel them and to get away from them, it's like 
all we're doing is like building them up to be felt later. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm locking them in this room and I just keep putting more of them in there. And like eventually that door, it's like a flood, floodgates are going to open and all those emotions are going to come out. And that's when we have more like breakdown type experiences, which I have experienced as well, where it's like, okay, it's now like too much. Like I can't even, but it's a gift because all of it is the human experience. All of it is here for us and we're going to experience it no matter you know, no matter what. And hopefully through people listening to our conversation, other conversations, we can come to a place of more acceptance as a society. I think there's a lot within our society. It's a whole rabbit hole we can go down, (laughs) you know, where we're, we're being sold a story that we don't need to feel any of those things. And that's not truth. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how are you processing what's going on in the world right now? Let's just go there. Let's like, I mean, you know, with all the emotions going on and the fear and everything going on, like, how do you deal with this stuff? Like, how, how do you move through it? Like, what, what are your thoughts on everything? I'm just curious. Cause I mean, I know it's a big question, but it's like, it's wild because everybody deals with it differently. Everybody has different perspectives and it's like, we all got to move forward. It's like, everyone's doing it different. Yeah, it's wild. I think one thing that I have learned in my life directly related to what we were just talking about is that we don't ever go back. And so our world fundamentally changed in 2020 and 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 what kind of played out. And I always throughout that period have focused on moving forward, growing through this as an individual and knowing that my individual growth and how I am has kind of an impact on the collective. So that's always been my approach. And I think I'm fundamentally optimistic by nature. So always looking for, you know, where is the growth? Where's the expansion? Where's the opportunity here for humanity and for myself and aiming to embrace that? So, you know, I've done a lot of plant medicine work, a lot of psychedelic work, and understanding at some level to macro out at times to just, this is just an experience that consciousness is having all of it, Mm. all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the joy, all of the pleasure, all of the everything, this rock spinning around that is one of billions of rocks spinning around. Like, yeah, it's just an experience. And like, (laughs) <laughs> we've been here for like a fraction like think about how long we've been here like uh, how, how long is a hundred years even for for like a span of time yeah. it's like a joke yeah and and keeping my mind open to you know all of the other civilizations that maybe exist out there on other planets or in other dimensions or have or whatever like it's very big this stuff but sometimes that macroing out to all of the uh, the infinite unknown actually helps me to find more peace Mm. in not having to solve it because it is also just an experience that is being had by the collective right now. That being said, I don't live there. Obviously, I don't live in that place all the time. And I have very strong feelings and perspectives and, you know, opinions. I, I use that word lightly because I always try to keep an open mind to everything and have embrace a lot of curiosity. But I have strong feelings and about everything that's going on. I think Charles Eisenstein probably informs a lot of my thinking. I mean, he has such an expansive and articulate way of 
describing what I feel very resonant with. And he, his work gives me a lot of language to be able to express the things that I see and feel and observe. And I think, you know, the simplest distillation is this story of separation versus the story of interbeing. And that's really where my life's work feels to be at the moment is where am I living as though I am separate from the world around me? And how can I embrace more of this interbeing state where I understand that every single little, every single thing that I do has a ripple effect and a flow on effect. And all of a sudden, when we live in that way, what I'm experiencing is I can't interact with the world in the way that I used to. I can't spend my money on things or give my energy to things or turn my energy away from things that I used to be able to because I know that I am not separate. I know that the way that I am treating myself is the way that I'm treating everything. And the way that I'm treating everything else is the way that I'm treating myself. And I've been looking at this in business as a big focal point. I, you know, remotely, my company is what we call a game B company, or we're playing the infinite game, or we're embracing this interbeing state where we are building a business in a very new and different way that is not by the rules of the old systems and structures. Everything we do is good for people and good for the planet. And all stakeholders matter. So we want to make decisions and do business that are in alignment with what we feel to be important in this world. And that no, no one decision would detriment any kind of group of people that are a part of the Grimotely journey. And I've been very focused on it in that realm because I am, career is such a big aspect of my life, the work that I do in the world. And so it was a huge hurdle for me to get over, like, how do I how do I even do this? And I'm still on the journey, but how do I build a company that, you know, fundamentally by its very nature, I don't even know how I feel about companies, you know, and capitalism and the current everything. And the fact that I literally have to register this company as a Delaware C Corp and do all of these things. And it's like, where do I, because I'm beyond the point of changing the system from within the system. I'm at the point where I think that's the biggest lie to keep us in the system. Because once you get into the system to try to change it, you end up just jaded by it and it, you become part of that system. It really does feel as though it's time for new systems and new ways of being. But I'll, I'll share another example that's come into my realm. And I think like money is an obvious one probably that most people can relate to. Like, am I spending money with companies that I support? Am I not just turning my blind eye? Am I buying products and things that are actually good for the environment? Like, I think that's a simple one for people to understand. But other situations that have come up more recently are interrelational, where a couple within my immediate community separated. And all of a sudden, and then there was, you know, a bit of mess around that separation. And all of a sudden, I realized I can't just say, that's between y'all. I don't want to know about it. Like deal with your shit. I love both of you. I also couldn't pick sides and just say, well, I'm just going to pick that person's side and, you know, ignore you. And I realized, wow, like what both of those are actually the story of separation. The first one is I'm not getting involved because it's too sticky and uncomfortable for me to get involved in your drama. The other option is to get involved in the drama, become part of the drama by choosing a side and 
you know, whatever. And I'm like, wow, what's the option that's the story of interbeing? And it's like having, what is my experience? I feel grief that this happened. And now there's a difference in the way we're all going to be hanging out and communicating. And that's okay for me to feel. I'm allowed to have my experience of grieving this dynamic. And I can express that in a really healthy way. And I can allow myself to feel it. And then I can have clear conversations with each pe- each person involved about how I feel and I can hear them out about how they feel and I can love them through it and I can love myself through it. And just acknowledging everybody is actually having an experience versus trying to just like say that's yours and I don't want to know about it, you know, or getting so involved in it where it's really not your place to be involved. So I just I just wanted to share that one because it came up more recently. It was really profound for me to think about all of these concepts that I'd been thinking about at an economic level and a financial and a business level and thinking about how do they play out in everyday life, in our relationships, in in all of it. You find when you show up like that, then those relationships show up like that too, like they reflect that. Because it's hard when other people don't see things the way you do. Totally. Like, like it's like, how does that happen when you, do you find that happens when you show up like that, then they sort of adapt or is it sort of like, what does that look like? I think they do. And I'm in my highest integrity. So I do feel strongly that as we evolve as individuals, as we embrace kind of that being the change, that there is a ripple outward. And so they don't need to meet me where I'm at, other people. They don't need to, I don't need to convince anyone of anything. I don't need to even necessarily be seen by them. But if I get into my cleanest, clearest place of integrity and express that, then I do feel that there is a positive ripple effect. And, and, and to be clear, to do that is to not do it from a place of wanting any change from anyone else. It is to be so in truth with self that that is what you're able to hold. And if you step out of that, to just own it and say, wow, great, great opportunity for growth. You know, I, I didn't hold myself in integrity in that moment. I got overwhelmed and I expressed and, and now I see, actually, I just want to like, you know, pull myself up on that and I want to grow and expand and be, be better. It's, I think this is in no way about being perfect and that's bullshit. If you find yourself in that position and when I find myself embodying that kind of energy that I've got it all figured out and I'm superior, I'm just like, yeah, you're fucking blind right now. Like that's what's actually going on. Your ego is grabbing onto something and saying, you're so spiritual. You've done so much work. You're so perfect. Like you're not, you're actually in a blind spot. Yeah, that's such a good point. So yeah, that makes me think about this next question. It's like, how much... Has your leadership and just your perspective on business changed from before to now? Like how you conduct yourself, like, you know, with conscious leadership and just your general, yeah, like just being a leader, like how has that changed from before to now? Everything, everything. <laughs> it's like, and it's, it's a journey because it's very vulnerable to me. All of the stuff that I have over time unpacked and shifted is that I am Sarah. I am like a whole person. I'm multidimensional. I'm all sorts of things. 
But the idea that I'm different at work at my core than I am at home is not real. Like, of course, there are differences. Of course, there are skills that I'm bringing to certain situations or what have you. But why should I deny also aspects of myself in both situations? And so the idea of like, this is a professional way to act. And like, I just don't believe any of it. I don't subscribe to any of it anymore, Mm. but it has been a real unpacking. And it basically what it looks like in practicality has been bringing this inner work and all of the things that I'm doing to learn and understand both myself and the world around me into the business world, into our conversations with my team. And often that means being really vulnerable about the things that are going on for me when somebody triggers me and learning how to have those kinds of conversations with people I work with, not just, you know, my lover or my family or my close friends or whatever, but bringing it into that workplace. So it's incredibly vulnerable. There's a lot, there has been for me a lot of second guessing of like, have you gone too far? Like, is this too much? People can't handle this. And then I just let go of that story. Like, who are these people that I think can't handle it? And why do I think that I know that that's true? You know, why am I placing myself in a, in a position of some form of superiority where I am deciding what people can and can't handle and what is good for them and what is not? Mm. It is so much more freeing to just show up and be like, this is who I am and where I'm at right now and dismantle the ideas that as a leader, I have a responsibility to, you know, always have the answers, to be strong, to be all these different things. No, I mean, I don't subscribe to any of that. As a leader, I think, one, I earn that title by people wanting to follow me. <laughs> if they don't want to follow me, I'm not really a leader. And, and I use the word follow, you know, maybe there's a better word, but if they don't want to be on this journey with me, then, you know, it doesn't matter whether I started the company and gave myself that title or not. Like leadership is different to being a boss, to being the manager. I think to having a title leadership is, am I embodying traits and qualities that are, and holding a vision that people want to get behind and want to be a part of. And I do I know how to communicate out as effectively as possible who we are, you know, where we're going, why we're doing it and and how we want to show up for each other. If I'm communicating that super clearly, then the right people are going to be attracted to that and want to be a part of it. Yeah, it's, I got to, there's, it's, I can relate with that so much, but there's also this one area where I want to ask you, it's like, how... How do you have that balance between like almost like having that power of knowing you, you're, you're the leader and then almost like sharing too much and almost like giving that away and people taking advantage of your, your nature or, or like, I don't know, for me, I've felt in the past leading sometimes it's like sometimes you say things and you open up and it's almost like, this might be old programming, but it's like you, you share too much and then they almost like have the upper hand. I don't know. It's like, do you ever, have you ever felt like that when you're, when you're, I feel like that you're like every time I like, how do we, how do we do that? Like, how do we lead people from our hearts, but not have that feeling of like, Oh shit, I better not say this or they're going to think this and I'm there. You know what I mean? And they, yeah, it's, 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 I know exactly what you mean, but it's, this is the fear talking, you know, this is 
essentially, and it's what keeps us from doing it because it's protecting us from this possible outcome that people would take advantage of our vulnerability if we show our cards. I was actually on a call yesterday with my immediate community. We've bought land and we have a meeting every week where we catch up around like the stuff that we're doing at the land as we're building our community. And I got really triggered earlier that morning into my abandonment wound, some of the things that or into the abandonment wound, <laughs> I'm trying not to attach to that wound, but into some of the things that, that come up for me. And then we were having this conversation and I noticed it coming up and I had this choice. Do I share this with my people or do I just, you know, not say anything? Because if they know that the things that they're saying have made me feel insecure in this moment, then I'm very vulnerable. Yeah. And then my mind started going down all these stories of like, oh, they're going to not want to say that around me or they're going to think, oh, Sarah's such a drag because she gets like insecure when this happens. And I just put my big girl pants on and shared how I was feeling. And it was incredibly vulnerable. But one of the men in our community just looked straight at me and said, thank you for sharing. I love you. I've got you. I'm not going anywhere. And it was just like, that was exactly what my little girl who was scared of abandonment in that moment needed. My whole system calmed down. Everything was much better for the rest of my day. So I was very grateful, but I gave myself the opportunity to receive that. And I gave my community the opportunity to show up, somebody in my community to show up in that way for me. And it was a huge lesson for me because even with our friends, we can feel that. With our lovers, we can feel that. And in our workplace, we feel it everywhere. All of this stuff is the same. Like there is no world in which you don't feel triggered into whatever your core wound is because you're at work. Like that's not real. Whatever is going to trigger you with your family of origin, your lovers, your friends is also going to trigger you at work. And so it's the same thing. Our fear is going to tell us, don't share that. They'll then see your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities and they'll use them against you later or they won't follow you because you're not a strong leader or you know whatever it is. But actually what they see is your humanity and your courage because most people will not do this. It doesn't matter how fucking spiritually woke they are, how much work they've done. To really share the depths of where you're at in a moment when you are in your deep pain. What does Eckhart Tolle call like your pain body? Whatever yeah, word you want to use for it. Yeah. But when you are in that heightened state where you just want to lash out or retreat or whatever it is for you, you know, it's very, very difficult and very few at this point people who will show up and do that as a leader or in whatever situation it is. The only way we can create safety for other people to do that is to do it ourselves. And that's what I lean into is I want to create a workplace culture that is a place for regenerative change for the people that work with me, where they become, through their experiences, they open and they heal and they grow and they expand. And they are then a ripple effect of love and light and change out in the world. And the only way I can do that is by being it. And probably that means being the most version of it that is going to exist because especially in the workplace, I would even say, because it has been shielded from this 
through this idea of a professional mask and what is acceptable professionally and what's not. So while we're doing the work with our lovers and our family and showing up and going to the therapist or coach or whatever it is, working with plant medicine, doing all this work, it's like then we just switch it off and go into work and don't bring any of that juicy goodness because we've been told this very, very good story about, you know, being professional and that certain things are not appropriate in the workplace. So I can just share my experience is that I have been practicing this. I have that fear every time that you're talking about. My my own experience is to just show up, do it anyway, and watch the magic unfold because it is magical and it's only going to be through living through it. And honestly, if somebody turns around and uses it against you, then it's a beautiful opportunity to practice your own boundaries and to have them move out of your sphere because they're not ready to be able to honor you. And you probably wouldn't want to honor them then, you know, or maybe you would try, but it would be hard because of, you know, where the dissonance is. And so what, where we can embrace this is to lean into the idea that everyone we work with could hold it and could meet us there and could grow and share in the same way. And knowing that that is a reality, but we have to start living it and choosing it. And then maybe there's some, you know, mess along the way to get there because there always is when we're growing and healing and evolving. But this end state that we then can move toward, or not end state because nothing ends, but this visionary state that we can move toward where we have this amazing group of people who are working together as adults, mature, healed, healing, growing, sovereign, reverent individuals coming together to work on something not a leader who knows what's best for a bunch of people who are below them, who don't know, you know, what they can hold and what they can't and don't know how to make decisions for themselves. Like if we embrace that kind of thinking as a leader, we, that's what we live in. But if we move to this other way where we say everyone's an adult, you know, they can, and they have an opportunity to grow and heal and expand with me. They can hold this. Can I trust them to hold this with me? Extending trust to people is one of the greatest ways to create it yeah it's interesting because you know growing up as an athlete you know a lot of the leadership was fear-based you do this if you don't do this you're running or you're skating until you puke like there's a lot of like fear tactics and even even when i worked in the bars and restaurants there was a lot of like fear based so for me as a leader starting out in this world it was tough because that's all i knew and it's, it's not a way, I mean, there it's shifting a lot in coaches now because it's not, it's not a long-term way to lead. Like people tune you out after a while and it's just not, you can't inspire somebody through fear of a very, no, you know, it's, I always it's say like the time. Yeah. There's like two ways to create, you know, a high performance culture as they would say. And one is like enormous pressure, crazy goals, hardcore deadlines, you know, and and fear-based tactics to try to force people to get there. And like, it will work to a degree. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that, right? You know, you'll, yeah. you'll get results, but one, it won't be enjoyable for anyone. Like, it's not really that fun to interact with people in that no. way. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasurable. It's not expansive. So even if you're successful, even if you're successful over the long term, no doubt there's a lot of yuck in your energy field by just having to act that way as a leader. Secondly, it's probably not going to work that well long-term because you're going to start getting a lot of high turnover and 
and things like that. And the other way to create high performance is through trust and empowerment and focusing on you know, that culture first approach, like where are we going? Why are we doing it? Who are we? And having really open conversations around the kind of values slash ethos piece so that people can continue to check in with themselves of are am I in alignment does this feel really good for me to show up in this way and like it's okay if if I'm not and I can move away and then someone else can come in but creating this harmony and this shared kind of vision mission values is what actually creates engagement and when people are engaged they want to do great work and in that case they might be able to do it with a lot less effort on their own behalf because they are alive. They are filled with joy. They are empowered to do it in the way that works best for them. They're using their genius and it can just flow out of them versus the other method is force. They have to force themselves because they're fucking terrified that if they don't, they're going to lose their job. And as soon as someone comes along with a better offer, they'll bail in an instant because why would they not, you know? But if you've got a team who are engaged and excited and you're allowing them to be in their genius and their flow state and they're trusted to create their best work, then it can come through a lot with a lot, a lot more ease and still create that high performance. Mm. Have you found it challenging to bring together a lot of, like there's, there's so many people doing, you know, remote work and project-based work and they're all working independently. and have you ever found it challenging to kind of get everybody excited about that vision that like with your company versus like, cause they have a bunch of other side jobs going on. And I, I found that challenging personally is that, you know, how do you, how do you get somebody to get excited about that vision and like really want to do it versus like all the other things they're doing? I've always found that hard. It's like, they have all these other chances to do so many things and it's great. And I've always said, I love that you have lots of things, but it's like, how much energy can you focus on five different projects? Like I've always like, do you, it, it, it's kind of bugged me because I want everyone to have freedom, but I'm like, I also want focus on, on a goal too. Like, how do you balance that? Have you had problem, trouble with that at all? Well, I know myself, I know what I'm trying to create in the world and I know my level of passion and enthusiasm and commitment. And with that, I don't work with people who have five other projects because it doesn't work for me. Mm. It, it actually doesn't work for me. I do want to work side by side with people who feel as passionate and excited about what I'm creating as I do. And I don't subscribe to the idea that like, no one's going to care about it as much as you. I don't actually believe that. And I don't live that. My team absolutely care. They absolutely show up. And I just know that about myself and the company. Now, I do want to be clear. This doesn't mean I don't want people to have balance and you know pleasure in their lives. And that it in no, no way means am I encouraging people to work 80 hours a week or something like that and not have a life outside work. No, that's not it at all. But from a career work perspective, it doesn't work very well for me to work with people who have a bunch of other projects because of the way that I like to work with people, which is this deep engagement and passion and enthusiasm for what we're creating. And it's not to say that occasionally we don't use a service provider or a contractor to do something, you know, a freelancer to do something small that needs to get done. But for the most part, everything that we have full-time team members, they actually all are independent contractors because that 
That's the model we use in, in Grimotely, which gives them complete freedom and empowerment on their financial situation, where they live, where they move around the world, that side of thing. I mean, that's just a technical structure, but they are, they work with Grimotely as their full-time kind of career. And again, it still doesn't mean occasionally someone doesn't have a side project or something in, that they're interesting outside of that. That's different. But for me and my businesses and the way that I run them, the idea of having someone who has five other kind of significant and competing companies they work with, it just doesn't work for me. And that's okay. And this is where I come back to this, knowing who you are, knowing what your culture is and communicating that clearly, because for some leaders, that's actually perfect because they don't want, they they don't really want to do a lot of interpersonal stuff. They don't even really want to necessarily have to communicate the vision all the time. They just want to get shit done, move it forward. Maybe they're more process oriented. Maybe they're more outcome oriented. Just get the work done. Off we go. I don't need to do all that warm and fuzzy stuff. I love the warm and fuzzy stuff. Like I love to be with my people and on the journey and like just so I'm a passionate lover of everything in life. You know, I want my, my relationships, I want them to be excited and engaged. I don't hang out with people who are not like into a lot of similar things to me because I want to like enjoy all of the goodness that life has with people who it's like expanding my enjoyment because I'm seeing their pleasure and my pleasure. And so, you know, this is part of who I am and there's no right or wrong, but just knowing yourself and not trying to go against the grain of what you actually desire. There's another thing that's coming up that I'm curious about that's, I think a lot of people can relate to, and I'm just curious of your thoughts. And that's around when it's time to let someone go, when it's time to fire them or whatever word you want to use. It's such a, it's such a crazy area because it's like you put time into them and you work with them, but you know, you don't, you want things to work out, but they don't, you know, at what point does somebody say, well, maybe we got to move on. And like, what does that look like? Like, what's the right way in a conscious leadership role to mm -hmm. let that go? Because not everybody works out, but maybe, maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, it's, it really depends, I guess, how clear you get in the beginning on the, on the role and everything. But I'm just curious as to like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is so important and transformative for everybody's lives. I'm actually going to do a whole webinar just on this topic because we do like monthly webinars at Grimoly for leaders and founders. And I'm going to do a whole webinar just on this topic because it is transformative. And I know not many people really even know how to live this yet. It's very new. But basically, if, if you can navigate open, candid conversations on an ongoing basis, you will never have to fire anyone ever again. And no one will quit unexpectedly on you ever again. You will navigate conversations to a mutual point where everybody agrees with the outcome. And the way to do it is firstly, to be really clear about your vision, your mission, and your values so that you can communicate that to people upfront before they even join the company. And you can get alignment. Like, do you care about this thing? do you, these values that we're talking about, like, does this resonate for you? Do you want to show up in this way? And then the moment somebody joins your team and they are not showing up in the way that you need to, whether that is their skills and ability, meeting deadlines or what have you, and most importantly, 
the values, the, the things that you all hold dear of how you have agreed to show up to each other. The moment they are not living up to them, embodying them is probably a better word. Even if it is day two, you have a conversation with them and you do it around the values and you talk about what, how they showed up and what we're actually aiming for and let them learn and grow. And also let them say, oh gosh, I actually, know. I don't want to show up like that. That feels really icky for me. He said, great, this is how we are here. It's going to be uncomfortable. What do you think? Maybe, it, maybe it's not the right thing. And if, you, if we are able to have that conversation every single time, the navigation out will happen organically and naturally. Mm. Where we get sticky with it, the first thing is not communicating effectively and clearly who we are. Like, don't put values down that are not your actual values. <laughs> like, if you say, uh, the easiest one, I always give this example, but if you say you're really flexible because that's a buzzword right now, but actually you're super fucking structured, you're just going to attract all the wrong people. Like, just own your gold, own who you are, be okay with it, even if it's not currently trendy. Just own who you are, knowing that if you're building a team of five people, I promise you there are five people in the world. You'll be able to find them that want to show up the way that, that you do. So just own who you are, do, communicate it clearly. And then as soon as you can have those conversations, as soon as you see something not right, have those conversations and it is going to make your life so much easier. It is difficult. It is challenging. But once you get those two aspects of knowing who you are and communicating that up front and then communicating every single time, something is not quite where you would want it to be and out of the where we get into trouble is just thinking oh that's only small I don't want to say anything it's not a big deal they're just new they just started like they'll get it over time or like oh they didn't meet the deadline on that one but like yeah no never mind it'll be okay in the future or you know I'm sure they're going to learn how things are like they've only been here for this long or whatever and you know what really happens you build a shit ton of resentment. And then by the time you end up bringing it up to them, you say to them, you've been doing these things for the last six months. It's really disappointing. It's not working the right way that we want. And then they're like, what the fuck? Like, why didn't you tell me I've been showing up like this for six months and you haven't told me. And now you're actually annoyed at me. I can tell, I can feel that. And then the next thing, you know, you then give them this whole this is how we need you to be performance management or whatever. And then obviously they don't meet it because they're probably not the right fit. And then they get fired or sometimes they just get fired or sometimes they just quit because they can feel it. They don't feel good working there because they can feel all this energy, whether it's conscious or not, they know they start hunting for other jobs and then they quit. And then geez, like you're pissed off because you're like, Oh my God, I tolerated them for a year when they weren't even performing. Now they just bail on me. So those situations are traumatic. That is trauma and that is being perpetuated in our workforce as a norm all day, every day. It is not normal to do that. We need to, what's the word, <laughs> denormalize that. We need to normalize having open, transparent conversations on both sides. If you are listening to this and you are an employee, somebody working for somebody else and you're not happy, have clear conversations about it. Trust the divinity of this universe, the vulnerability. The reason why people don't want to do that is because they get worried that they might lose their job then. That might be the thing that needs to happen. Like you deserve to work somewhere 
where you are valued, respected, and you are thriving because you align with that company. And companies deserve to have the people that align with them who are happy and thriving. And if we all hold that as an ideal when it comes to work, it might require quite a lot of shifting around for a while, but it is possible. We can get there. So much gold there. Yeah, you got to be willing to have the tough conversations. Yeah. Like you can't be the people-pleasing person. But then, like, don't you find that hard? One minute you're vulnerable, then you got to have this hard conversation. It's like, doesn't it, isn't that challenging? Well, I think if you have the hard conversation immediately, it's not as hard. Yeah, because then you've built that. Yeah. Uh, you set those expectations. Yeah, like you're just saying, hey, can we jump on a quick 15-minute call? I just want to talk about what happened yesterday with X and, and specifically in relation to our value of Y. And then they got a heads up. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. And you get on the call and you say, yeah, I just want to want to reflect like this is the ideal of how we would have handled that situation. And this is what you did. And, you know, it's not bad or good. It's just like, this is how we like to do things here. How does that feel for you? And let them speak, hmm. you know, and, and get a sense of like, because how it might feel for them is I don't want to act like that. I don't want to be like that. And that's where you can say, if that's hard for you, that's totally okay. And it's probably going to be hard for you to work here. And so, you know, that's all right as well. Like, how can I support you into finding something where you're going to be more comfortable and you're going to thrive? And like, I also tell people like, you are not expected to work here forever. I don't want you to work here forever if it's not what you want. I want you to work here when it's a hell yes. And it, the day that it does not, it, the day that you wake up and it's not a hell yes, let's talk about it. And let's help you find what's next for the hell yes. So I think as leaders, giving people permission as well, because there's just so much of this sense of obligation and loyalty that people get stuck in that is not. And I mean, if, if you've done any relationship work and looking at like the, the construct of marriage being this contract where we're now committed forever, does anyone actually want that? Do you desire someone to be with you because they signed a contract at one point and now they can't get out of it? Or do you desire that person to wake up every day and look at you as they roll over and say, I love this person. I want to be here with them. I, I want that every day of the week. I don't want anyone with me in any context because they signed a contract. And employment is so similar. And thinking of that as a founder and a leader, like, I don't want someone here with me because they signed a contract and I provide them with safety and security and they're scared of not having an income and so they just stay even though it's not the right thing and then they don't want to quit because they know we're going through a tough time or whatever stories everybody's creating. Like, no, there's so many companies in the world. There's so many people in the world. Let's come together when it's a hell yes. I love that. Explain to us a little bit deeper about Grow Mope, just so people don't know, because we've talked about it, but like, can you just kind of give them kind of like, what is it and how is it different from anything else out there? I know, but I'd like to hear it from your, yeah. your words. For sure, yeah. So I have been working remotely since 2014. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about in, as it relates to my leadership journey has coincided with me doing my deep own deep inner work and healing and growing and also going remote. And it really unlocked something for me because I had enough space physical space and separation from people that I was able to stay in a more 
just in a healthier place as a leader. I wasn't getting distracted by all of the personal habits and little things that you have to deal with when you're coming into physical space every single day with people. And I became a better leader along this journey of being remote for a number of reasons, but ultimately became then very passionate about remote work because it also required me to unpack all of these constructs. And then I started noticing that people who were willing to take remote jobs pre-pandemic were also unpacking all of these societal constructs and things. And so we were experiencing a lot of growth and a lot of expansion, which is what the pandemic ended up throwing everyone into. It was like, oh, all of a sudden we can all work remotely and still function. Like, why have we been going to offices the whole time? So they start collectively expanding their stories. Anyhow, I became super passionate about remote work and what it could offer the world around 2018, 2019. And I had sold my last financial planning company. I wasn't interested in being in finance anymore. I wanted to build something that was, I wanted to build technology. I wanted to build something that was scalable and that could have a really positive impact on humanity. And my experience and my team's experiences of being remote for the last five years at that point were so expansive that I felt like this is a really big thing. Like this really working remotely can really change our experience of life for everyone. And it gives opportunity, gives access to opportunity to people all over the world. It gives access to opportunity to people who women who typically, you know, have suffered when they have children, their careers have suffered. It gives opportunity to people who have disabilities and different things like that, different access requirements. It gives opportunities to people who are displaced and refugees, usually end up driving taxis and Ubers, even though they might be a doctor or an engineer. How many people have experienced that? So here I am in 2019, super passionate about remote work. And I have been hiring remotely and globally since 2014, but it was not easy. Like to find, to be open to hiring someone anywhere in the world is great, but how do you find them? How do you get your job advert in front of all these different people in all these different countries and qualified people and matching and obviously everything I've talked about here, I'm super passionate about this culture first approach. And so basically I built Gromotely, which is a technology platform that is essentially a marketplace of talent and a marketplace of companies. So we help any company anywhere in the world find, hire, and retain skilled and experienced talent anywhere in the world into long-term permanent positions. So if anyone is familiar with Upwork, you know, that is a close enough example of what we do where you post jobs and you find people, but Upwork is focused on gig work, hours-based work projects. We're focused on helping you as a small business owner, build your entire team, your marketing manager, your financial controller, your whatever, all of the people that you need in your team. And because of the global nature, I also understood the complexity of contracts and payroll and benefits and supporting these people, especially when you're a small business. So we specifically built Gromotely to help small businesses manage their entire HR from a technology perspective and find these people and hire them and retain them. So we're an end-to-end solution for small businesses to run their entire HR function. Essentially, we provide professional development. We provide a whole, whole lot of stuff for people. And on the professional side, we're, we're really here to support your career and help you find companies that you feel aligned with. So all of our profiles, we have a matching algorithm 
and we're continuing to develop our our product. Obviously, we've only been been live for just over a year, but everything is based around this culture first approach. How do you find the company that you resonate with? How do companies find people who resonate with them? What a time to be doing this. <laughs> you like you can pick the perfect the perfect industry at the perfect time. Like I closed my first round of funding on March 13th of 2020, which is the Friday before the pandemic. Unbelievable. And like yeah. wow, the opportunity for this is just endless. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I, you know, experienced your team. They're amazing. Like I, it's, it's tough. It's tough these days. And it's great to have a resource like that because I personally, you know, you hire somebody and you don't really know and you trust them and then they don't deliver. And then there's just this nightmare they don't show up all of a sudden you're like, what? Like it's, there's so many things, but I feel like as an entrepreneur, you kind of got to get your ass kicked and learn those lessons a little bit in the beginning to be like, you do, but we are going to deal with that shit. <laughs> we are here to support and try and make it as easy as possible. Yeah. But we, every, yeah, don't every, do what I did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that I've literally built this company out of all the mistakes and all the challenges and everything I learned about team building and Every company that joins a platform, we assign you an account manager and that account manager is there to support you know, not only your hiring, but even you know conversations and different things you might need to have. And we provide a ton of content as well, just to support all of these topics that we've been talking about on this call. Like our whole business and brand is about bringing that to the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the way of the future. I mean, it's. And just what we were talking about with like, you know, conscious leadership and just, you know, having ethics around building a business that's actually helping the world versus like destroying it, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of businesses out there that, you know, making a ton of money, but not helping the world. Yeah. Or like net positive where I'm doing all this destruction over here, but I'll donate money or carbon offset or whatever over here. And I'm like, so not down for that anymore. Like we are beyond that point. Even if we weren't, why would we do that? Even if we had more time left on this planet, like more resources, more everything, why would we do that? Yeah. When we don't have to, we can live in a way that is more harmonious. We can create amazing things that do not detriment one group or one aspect and positively impact another. Like we don't have to do business that way. We can do business that is good for people and good for the planet in all aspects. It doesn't mean, you know, everything's perfect. It means to constantly be looking and saying, what can I learn more? Where where are we maybe not doing well that we didn't even know? I mean, there's so many blind spots in this human experience right now because of where the world has gotten to and where our societies have gotten to and the way that supply chains work. And like, we don't even know half the stuff right now, but all we can do is just try. Yeah. Try, learn, be curious, inquisitive, listen when people are telling us to look at something. Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns right now as we're recording this, you know, there's cryptos dropped, mm-hmm. stocks have dropped. There's a lot of, a lot of unknowns. A lot of people are having to dig deep with like, the trusting of the unknown right now. It's a really interesting time. It is. I mean, I've just been like 
talking about crypto and money, like I was a financial advisor for 17 years in finance. I thought I had the money stuff sorted out from both like the energy and the spiritual side of money and like actually how to make it work. I'm at a point now where I'm unpacking all of it. Like what, what is it to actually live? Like we are so attached to money at this point yeah, that we don't even know what other resources and gifts that we don't even know what it is to live in reciprocity with the world around us without money being the the main transaction yeah no doubt like it's it's shaking it's rocking my world and it is a deep and challenging exploration to say what could this life be where i actually started to value all of these other aspects of what i have to give and and what i have to receive and how can we build a world and build from a place that is not so attached to this financial system? Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Seriously though. I mean, it's, it's like we're handcuffed to this, mm-hmm. you know, we got to eat, we got to, we got to do the things. You got to pay the rent, got to pay the mortgage, got to, the, the girl, Vanessa Kettner, who works on my team, she writes all of our content. She has a really beautiful way because I've been really struggling with a lot of this stuff and we've been having some of these conversations in our team. She's a really beautiful way of like holding herself in interaction with the world where she's like, rather than being angry, she's like, I pay my respects to say, I don't know, an example, like the person that I rent my house, I, I pay them the rent and I'm doing that with respect for them and the way that they're living and their interaction with society. And at the same time, I acknowledge and hold that there could be another way for me to have housing, you know, and I'm open to that. So it's like, cause that's the thing that I struggle with, I think. And, and many of us do when we have some form of awakening around something is like, ah, how do I live now that I know the thing is the thing. And it's like trying to find a way to still show up and choose what we would rather choose what we now resonate with, choose a new way forward but still exist in this old system or structure because it's inevitable right now. It's pretty hard to get really away from it all. It's not impossible and it's something we should be looking at and continually moving toward, but not, you can't go from one day ordering Amazon and Uber Eats and living in this world, driving gas guzzling cars and using a mobile phone, quite frankly, that has like minerals and I don't even know all the stuff that gets mined out of the earth that's in our phone probably, you know, has cost people their lives and all sorts of slavery to even get it. Like we're so far down this path right now that it doesn't matter what awakening you have. It's, it's pretty hard to turn around the next day and just be perfect. And so it's like, how do we find ways to coexist, but be really pushing our energy and our momentum and our focus in a new direction? Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're doing and, you know, what Joe's doing and what I'm doing, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, we're doing the best we can, right? I mean, we, we have to just, you know, I ask every day in my meditations and prayer, I go, you know, just show, get, show me the opportunities, the synchronicities that align with, you know, my greater good. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that, you know, I try and feel into what that is all the time. And, it's it's hard because yeah you gotta one way you gotta participate in this chaos but at the same time you gotta kind of you gotta play the game to get out of the game almost and it's like the only way out of it it's like if the whole thing crashes and we end up all moving out into the middle of nowhere in the forest and we just start life again like I don't know 
you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. like, I don't, I don't know what else we do other than just, you know, make it do the best we can and, you know, have these conversations and, uh, you know, make the small changes, but you're right. You know, you order, we all order on Amazon and it's like, like, there's just so much of that stuff that there's a lot of people that are very inconsistent with their message and they don't even realize it. And it's like, I want to do this, but then you participate there and it's like, yeah. it's crazy. It's hard. And it's like not judging ourselves or others, but continuing to move toward a higher standard of integrity. So I am not perfect. I still sometimes do order on Amazon, but I have removed the app from my phone and I've you know, remove the Uber Eats app from my phone. And that in itself is just like this extra step that I have to go to. And it makes me think, do I need the thing next day delivery or <laughs> like, and like not knowing where it's came from or where it's sourced from, or can I wait, you know, can I look on like, I don't know, beeswax candles, for example, we order a lot of candles. And, and so I did my research and I found a company where I can order directly from them online. This is something we order regularly. And I'm supporting them and they produce their beeswax in a better way. It's just like, it's only one thing. It's beeswax candles. You know, there's so many other things that we consume in our daily lives, which is another problem. But like, what can I do every day to like, just start to get a little bit better? How can I just, yeah, I had something with clothing. This is so cool. This experience, I'll just share it was, I was thinking about this. I don't want to order like stuff that's just you know, mass produced or whatever. So I decided this was a little while ago. I'm only going to try and order things that are handmade or more boutique, small, small batch made. And I ordered this sweater from a woman who knits them in Russia. And this was pre the Ukraine situation happening. And I ordered the sweater from her and we went back and forth, just trading a few notes on the shipping and everything. And then two or three weeks later or whatever, the Ukraine crisis erupted and I just felt called to message her and say, Hey, like, are you okay? And she wrote back, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're asking me if I'm okay. Like I actually live by the border of Ukraine, which I didn't know. She said, I'm hosting refugees in my home. This is a terrible time. The whole world hates us. I don't want this. And she's like, I'm crying as I'm writing this. I can't believe you reached out. And I was like, thank you so much for sharing your experience because this is a human to human experience this is real. This is a Russian woman living on the border of Ukraine, hosting refugees in her home. This is not the story that I'm getting on. I don't watch any fucking mainstream media, yeah, but this is not the story that's being pushed out there. Or even and on social media. I mean, yeah, even on social media, it's like so hard to, yeah, that's so manipulated as well. But like that experience and the sweater never arrived because probably, I don't know what happened with the mail, but like that experience of me choosing to not buy something just from some fast fashion thing that's mass produced and instead taking the time to search for something that was being handmade, that woman got the money directly and then she was sending it to me and then resulted in this beautiful human connection, like so much better for everything, for the world, for all of it. And like, we do have this amazing technology that means I can buy it from the woman in Russia. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be someone who lives in my community or whatever like it's not all bad there's there's so much gift in everything that we've created as humans in all of this technology and in my most recent ayahuasca ceremony she showed me that it's all perfect it's all here it's just how we interact with it it's how we choose to be with it it's not that the plants and I was very much interacting with the plants in that ceremony it's not that the plants want to kill us all or want to know technology nothing 
it's like about harmony. It's about how do we do it all in harmony in a way that's balanced and beautiful. And that was like so heart opening for me as well, that experience. Yeah. Wow. Great conversation. We covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did. Fun. This was so fun. Sarah, thank it. you so much. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Very wise. You got, to, I'm so glad I got to have this conversation with you because I learned a lot too. And I think, you know, your, and you got it, your book is called Conscious Leadership too, right? I just had, mm -hmm. okay. And that, does that cover kind of what we talked about a little bit? Yeah, it actually goes through my whole, it's very much my personal journey. So it's, it's probably kind of a similar tone to the conversation we've been having where I'm just sharing my experiences. I'm not telling you the top 10 steps to conscious leadership. Like I don't really think that's what conscious leadership is. I think it's really about learning who you are and bringing that to the world. And so all I did was share my journey of learning who I am and bringing that to the world. I love that. Yeah. It's like people that say that they're conscious, I'm conscious. Do the, it's like, you're missing the point. It's like, <laughs> just, just show up that way. Like, you know, exactly. It's like what, you know, cause I, I see that a lot. People tell you to do this, but then they don't actually do it. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's a really big one for me. It's just, you know, being tr truthful. And when I say truth, it's just like what is real for me right now in my, in my sharing, in my vulnerability, in my expression, because, you know, I'm in no way perfect. Every time I've thought I've got something figured out, it's like that's the moment where you just get bitch slapped and on your ass. And it's like such a good reminder because I don't, I don't ever have it all figured out, you know. Yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah, I've been going through a lot of those lately, but sometimes those bitch slaps and the back up against the wall is like just exactly the humble pie we need. Like, it's like, oh yeah, this actually feels good. It's kind of exciting. It's, mm -hmm. it's so interesting how it all works because sometimes things are going really well and then you're like, you don't feel that grateful and you're kind of like, and then you, mm -hmm. you get smacked a bit and you're like, oh, okay. It's like, it's just a whole different perspective shift. And I think yeah. as a human, we all need that sometimes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and it's like part of the, the old world that we're trying to get away from is this idea that we can climb a linear ladder and get to a place and we can yeah. embrace that. We can end up embracing that subconsciously in our spiritual journey and our personal growth. And this is realizing like, it's, it's just the, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So Everybody can get your book, Conscious Leadership, check out your company, Grow Motely. Anything else that you're working on that we can send people to or you know, where's the best place to check you out and learn more about you? Well, we're actually raising money on Republic for Grow Motely. So we're running a crowdfunding campaign right now. So that might be interesting for people. If, if, if what we're building at Grow Motely is resonant for you, we would love to welcome you in. You can invest as little as $150. So yeah, perhaps we can include that in the show notes. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh. I appreciate it. I'd, I'd love to invest in that too. I didn't even know that was happening. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Good for you. Yeah, it's really exciting. And it feels very appropriate for us because we are a community-led brand. And what better opportunity than to allow our community to be part of that investment that fuel that we need to continue on our journey and to then benefit from that later. So it feels really good. We just went live on it. Good stuff. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you, Lance. It's been so Appreciate good. It. So good. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.
what was your takeaways from that? For me, it was really thinking about conscious leadership, really understanding what that means. And one of the biggest takeaways that I had is, is, is really thinking about how important it is to have those difficult conversations early. I mean, if you can set that expectation early, then things just get so much easier. And I personally have been a people pleaser and I don't like, it's probably stuff that I have to work through. It, it Not probably, it is. It's like already a known fact that it's kind of the way I was raised with my dad. He was very like, don't, don't upset people. Don't, don't get people upset. Don't cause a problem. And, you know, that idea means well, but it really doesn't solve the issue. And just keeping peace in the moment doesn't necessarily mean that's a positive thing. Like you got to nail things right away. If there's an issue, have that conversation, get out of the way, get it in the open, and then it's over. Rather than it building and building and building, and then you snap. See, for me, over the years, I've had things build, 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 snap. And it doesn't, it's not a good way to be. So that was a big takeaway for me was like really being okay with those, un those uncomfortable conversations. And also the room, like thinking about how much things need to change in our world with how work and how things are done, you know, like it's, it's really important to invest and to do business with people that are wanting to make a difference in the world long-term because we have this planet to live on. And it doesn't, and there's just so many things unethically going on, but at the same time, we still have to live in this world. So I think being able to do your best to make the best, the best decisions you can make, you know, towards making this a better world is, is a great way to do it. So, um, lots covered there. And I really resonated with Sarah, with her dad and her issues with abandonment, because I, there's still stuff that I'm working through. So when I hear somebody talk about those things and it really resonates. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Make sure to go and um, check out Sarah. Go check out Grow Motely. It's a great company. I, were, I, I had a meeting with their company. I was going to hire somebody from there, but I ended up having some issues in my business where I had to pull back on spending and I just we just never ended up moving forward. But they're great. I would highly recommend them. Um, and as you know, you listen to Sarah, she's awesome. Her values and mission values and everything is amazing. So also, if you want to support her company, um, they're doing a crowdfunding. The link is in the show notes. And also, guys, if you aren't subscribed to the podcast, go subscribe. Or if you aren't, if you want to watch this on YouTube, subscribe there. We're trying to grow that YouTube. So that's much appreciated. And Again, if you guys like what you heard, leave us a review on Apple. Even if you don't listen to Apple, it's really, really, it just helps for whatever reason, you know, it just helps grow the show. And yeah, I love you guys. And yeah, that's enough for me. Enjoy your day. We'll catch you next time.